0: chapter ten of east by west a journey in the recess volume two by henry w lucy this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter ten the prisoner of ceylon arabi bay's home of exile stands about three miles out of colombo it is reached by a long dusty road sometimes skirting the indian ocean on whose cool margin brown figures stand dabbling the water up to their knees and plying a fishing rod they do not seem to catch much and are comically disproportionate fishing with rod and line in an ocean that washes two continents but it is a very pleasant way of getting through the day having a wholesome appearance of work without the accompaniment of blinding dust and dry untempered heat which harry those labouring by the roadside It is a very squalid quarter, the houses being mere huts thatched with palm leaves. Many of them are not six feet high, and the elders of the family crawl into them like animals returning to their holes. They have no windows, and have not reached the skilful contrivance of the Japanese, whose sliding shutters drawn back leave the domicile easy of access. There is a plain wooden shutter that contrives a double debt to pay being a window by day and a door by night. When the Singalese retires to rest, this board is put up, and the arrangements are complete. There are plentiful chinks which admit air and some rays of light, but neither is a matter that seems greatly to concern the householder. Passing by day, one can see crouching within the doorway, father or mother, even oftener the grandfather or grandmother. In spite of insanitary household arrangements, the Cingalese seem to live to a ripe age and wrap their years about them like a picturesque garment. Long grey hair, deeply furrowed faces, gleaming dark eyes, figures still upright and the loose garment of gay colours worn with easy grace make old age strikingly attractive. There is no difficulty in approaching the prisoner of Ceylon. He has neither jailer nor guard and is free to do what he pleases within the limits of the island when we drove up he was sitting in the broad veranda which fronts the house a heavy stone building with nothing lovable about it it stands in a garden which seems left pretty much to its own devices these as in all tropical gardens take gorgeous turns there are abundance of flowers growing in wild luxuriance and just by the porch, one English rosebush, timidly doing its best to maintain its ancient reputation amid its richer foreign brethren. Arabi was dressed in a loose, light-brown overcoat of unmistakable British make, with white duck trousers and waistcoat, and the inseparable fez. He was at work writing with his back to the garden and his face to the dead wall, which might, with a little care, bloom with jessamine, with the breath of which all the garden is sweet. He showed us his work a little later, displaying with childlike pride the laboriously made English characters by which he had spelt out by and by, a time will come, and other simple sentences which formed his English lesson his exercise book had originally been designed for accounts and he now filled the money column with arabic phrase translating it into english on the borderline as he opened the book he disclosed a couple of cheap new year cards the remembrance of unknown admirers in england the literature was execrable but the gay colours seemed to please the egyptian and he evidently treasured them Two or three men in native dress were standing about the stables, which flanked one side of the house. A gentleman whom we subsequently knew as the interpreter advanced to receive us as the carriage entered the grounds. Arabi silently bowed a welcome, but did not seem inclined for conversation with casual strangers. Many passers-by call in, and he is not quite sure that all are friendly we had an introduction from a trusted personal friend which smoothed matters and presently the cold suspicious manner was altered and the silent man became loquacious he has so far profited by his studies in english as to be able to carry forward simple conversation he will soon pass by his interpreter whose command of english is not extensive the effort of translation causing him piteously to perspire arabi had no objection whatever to discuss political affairs but he even ostentatiously persisted in doing so from the standpoint of a permanent exile like victor hugo after the coup d'etat he has taken a solemn oath perhaps superfluous in the existing circumstances never to let his foot press the soil of egypt while Tophiak reigns oui. Tant qu'il sera là, qu'on cède ou qu'on persiste, ô France, France aimée, et qu'on pleure toujours, je ne reverrai pas ta terre douce et triste, tombeau de mes aïeux et nid de mes amours. Thus Victor Hugo in Les Châtiments. I will never go back to Egypt as long as it is enslaved by Topherk. Arabi says, with unwonted access of animation, I have no desire to see Egypt while it is a land of slaves. Once it was a country that smelled sweet to the nostrils. Now it stinks. Its wells are covered with earth. There is no refreshment in it. Why does not England make Egypt free? Talking again of Tauferk and contrasting him with his father, he said... Ismail is a clever man, but a rogue. Tofuok is not clever enough to be a rogue. He is simply foolish. I do not think he knows the difference between right and wrong. Of England, whose arms chased him from Alexandria and routed him at tel el-Kabir, Arabi speaks with unfeigned respect and with an affectionate regard which, if not real, is well assumed i hope to see england some day he said i am learning english fast and write it too look here then he brought out his lesson book and gazed with a pleased fond smile upon his tremendous and painful feats of calligraphy he was so engrossed with his scholastic pursuits that he forthwith proceeded to give an english lady who was present lessons in arabic Reciting from his stock of English phrases and putting them in Arabic. He wrote his name for her on a card, setting himself resolutely down at the table, inking his fingers a good deal, and spending seven or eight minutes upon the task. When concluded, it ran Ahmed Arabi, the Egyptian, Colombo, with the date. He might almost have stormed a town with a similar expenditure of time and physical labor it was regrettable to find that the names of the rank and file of the fourth party awakened no responsive chord in the mind of the illustrious man whose chequered career they had followed with varying attention he seemed all unconscious that in the spring of a session sir henry wolfe and mr gorst had denounced the government for not eating up a man and horse and in the autumn of the same session, had truculently returned to the attack with the charge of cruel and cowardly severity towards a pure and high-minded patriot whom the fortunes of war had delivered into their hands. But for the leader of the party, the exiled soldier cherishes the loveliest feelings of gratitude and respect. "'You will see Lord Churchill when you return.' he said, speaking as all but the simplest remarks were made through the interpreter, "'Salute him for me and give him my thanks. "'I honour him as the friend of slaves, the champion of the oppressed.' "'As rabbi was unmistakably in earnest, "'I trust I preserved a grave countenance whilst taking charge of this message.' But I could not help thinking of Lord Randolph's good fortune, which kept him away from the house at the epoch when the exigencies of party conflict led the fourth party on another tack, and Sir Henry Wolfe and Mr. Gorst, out Heroding the daughter of Herod, nightly demanded that Mr. Gladstone should produce the head of a rabbi on a charger whatever discontent may have ruffled the bosom of arabi on first taking up his residence on the island has now disappeared or is judiciously controlled he declares himself happy and contented cut adrift from war and politics and passing a peaceful life battling for supremacy over english verbs and giving up his mind to circumventing the tendency of the plural to creep into his exercises when grammatical accuracy demands the singular he likes the climate except that it is too wet which means that at pretty regular intervals a thundercloud of rain bursts over the thirsty island and keeps it ever green. He certainly looks well and happy, and talking to him under the cool verandah, with the soft air wandering through the quiet garden, one would not readily associate this gentle mannered, kindly faced man with the acts that will make the name of Arabi Bay live in history. End of chapter 10